What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Into the Dome Podcast. How the hell are you? Pretty good, you? Huh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. So let's, before we get into it, today we're going to do player evaluations for this past season, but before we get into it, the Dallas Stars released their, their new alternate today. It's like, it's interesting. I think we're starting to see a little bit of a trend here in terms of these like vibrant neon colors. I think what Miami, the Marlins do it in the major league, uh, the Miami Heat were started to do it in, in basketball, did they not? Uh, yeah, the, like the blue and pink kind of. Yeah. So I'm like, some of the Florida teams are doing it and, um, it's like this electric neon, neon color. And now the Dallas stars come out with their, their third uni. It looks sick. However, I think it was Hawk and Luke's helmet. We were just, we were just talking about Hawk and Luke, Hawk and Luke. Um, he posts. He's like, man, I thought these were so sick. Honk and Lube's so- helmet on Twitter, not Honk. actual, not actually Honk and Lube though. <laughs> Honk and Lube helmet. I don't know if he, if he listens or not, but um, he posted at at first sight they look sick in those all black um, studio photos, but when they're all hanging up in in the dressing room in the light, it wasn't as cool. I it I yeah I can't decide somebody on the internet because here's the thing with the internet you either have to love it or hate it and when I first saw it I was like that looks like the embodiment of like Monster Energy Drink it's like every dude named Chad is gonna love that like every dude from Alberta who drives a Dodge truck that's lifted and like smokes weird cigars that are flavored and drinks Monster is gonna love that jersey it's like those extreme guys from uh, what was it Harold and Kumar? Did you ever watch that yeah, show? Yeah, it's, it's exactly what it's like. extreme Dorito. Extreme. It literally looks like it looks like uh, I don't want to. When I first saw it, I was like, that looks like some roller derby shit. That's like from a Doritos commercial or something, right? Like that's what it looked like. But then when now that I'm kind of like look, but then it took me a while and I kind of dig it actually now. I fucking really like it. The like, only I, thing. I, that, the only thing I'll say is, like, I think it would be way better if it wasn't green. That's the thing. If the Flames had done a jersey like that and it was, like, red, I think that would have been awesome. But the fact that it's green, I think that's the problem. That neon green is such a has such a has so many weird connotations to it, like the Monster Energy drink shit. It's the green that's throwing everybody off. I love them. Well, we'll see, like... It'll be interesting to see how they look on the ice. Are tinted visors allowed? Like, I thought that wasn't no. even allowed. Come on. They're not going to do that, too, are they? They should, but it, it it looks... I love tinted visors. Why not? Why is that not allowed? Is that, why isn't that allowed? That doesn't make sense. I don't know. I feel like there's one other team I'm, I'm, we're missing here that does this. That does oh, yeah. neon green? Oh, yeah, yeah. This, the Seattle Seahawks. Or not... The, well, they yeah, have see, that. See they us. have that kind of neon green, but it's not like solely neon green. I don't know. I'll have to see it on the ice. I mean, if you're gonna do a jersey like this, this is what you do. If it was their main jersey, it'd be like, oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Go hog. If if the Flames want to do a crazy cowboy topographical map of Alberta with like the oil sands and a cowboy and a cartoon cowboy of Nenshi or something, the whole deal. Go for it on a third jersey. If you go crazy on third jersey, I don't give a shit. Now, do you like? I like. I love the Seahawks. Um, 
neon green. Oh, that's sweet. And that's what's missing from the Seattle Kraken jersey is that neon green. That's yeah. what I think anyways. So I think this is my point is you have it in the MLB now, the NBA as well as the NFL. Now it's going to be the NHL. So this seems to be kind of like a little maybe a trend happening. We'll see if other teams do it as well. But um, we were just like that would look sick. Have a have the red flaming sea in that vibrant neon. That would be sweet. And then um, shit, I can't remember his name on on Twitter, but he does a whole bunch of designs. I'll have to look it up. Um, but he had posted a flames jersey similar to it. The vibrancy of the red wasn't the same, but it was kind of like the same same style. Um, but it had the classic stripes. And all that kind of stuff, like the star, like the Dallas Stars ones do. But I think I said to you, I'm like, dude, imagine no stripes, the flamings, like the sea, yeah, and then you have flames coming up from the bottom of the jersey, as well as the sleeves, and then the socks. It's just flames coming up the bottom of the socks. Would that not be epic? See, that's what's insane about the Flames jersey history, like the history of the Flames design, is that they've so heavily leaned into like. The Alberta identity, you know, like stuff like that, the cowboy stuff, and like not lead into the the fire motif at all. It's like you literally like that's one of the coolest things you can incorporate. It's got it's goddamn flames. It's yeah. on fire. You can do so much cool shit, and they've never really gone. They've never really gone full. Uh, they've never really gone full flame. If you know what you'll, I mean. You'll get uh, you'll get spurs on the back of a cowboy hockey skate. <laughs> you'll get boot skate. Bootscape before you'll get flames. Before you'll get like flame, like on the sleeves. Like remember those lightning jerseys in the early two thousands that were like had the lightning up the arms. Like come on, give us some of that shit. Yeah, like do some of that. And um, one of the NFL teams, this I was just looking at their uniforms. Um, it is the the Chargers. Have you seen the Chargers new? Oh uniforms? yeah, exactly. Like, like the they elect- got the electricity, right? There's electricity bolts yeah. and all, all sorts of shit. Like work it in there. Come it's on! Like, forget about this. Like, if you're so, I, if you're so obsessed with, like, you know how the NBA they have city jerseys. Like, it's called a city jersey, where it incorporates the history of the city into the jersey. Yeah. Do your cowboy western Alberta love we love Alberta thing in that. Don't force your don't force the flames motif into this box of like cowboy shit. I don't. I've never understood. Like, even with Blasty. I think Blasty is mad overrated. I know I'm going to upset a lot of people. I know I'm going to upset Noah. Noah. Noah's going to lose his goddamn mind. Noah's going to turn it off right now if he's listening. But, like, come on. Like, they have to come up with a – they incorporate flames into a horse. Come on. Come on. You don't always have to go to that well. You don't always have to go to the Alberta cowboy well. I don't – we're the flames. We're the flames. Dude, okay, before we flames. move, before we move on, I looked it up. It's Chris. Um, Chris does a whole bunch of designs, so he's at B. Oh, Chris, right? He's the guy who had reverse blasty, the white yeah. blasty. I remember yeah. seeing that. Yeah, that yeah. He, he he does some sick designs. Yeah. All right. So, yay or nay on the Dallas? I'll go yay, just because it's a third jersey and it's unique. Yeah, I mean, if you're like, that's where you do a third jersey. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I know every, everybody wants them to bring back the classic, which I love that jersey from like the '90s, the Medano jersey. That is epic. Yep. But they save that. That's saved. That's gonna be saved for like a permanent, like full time, throwback jersey. 
the more I, I am always a bigger fan of like new ideas. That's why that's why I'm like a little reticent to be like, yeah, bring Blasty back. It's like I would prefer new stuff as to like rehashing old shit all the time, especially with jerseys. So, I mean, you could easily come up with a an upgraded Blasty as well. Oh, oh, hell's yeah. We're like, what about jersey? Like a third jersey? What if there's not even a logo? There's just the whole jersey just flames. Fuck yeah! It's like it's on fire. If Come they, on! Okay, here's what I want. All like like the NBA does, right? They have like five or six jerseys. Have yeah. your legit home sets, which we finally thank God have now. Your home and away that are like classic, never changing, absolutely beautiful. Those are those are untouchable, and now they're perfect. Finally, after 13 goddamn years of complaining, and those stupid Alberta flags and those horrible pipes, we finally got normal jerseys for home except, and away. Except for the third, but except they can't let those stupid <laughs> flags go away. They can't let it they, go. They can't let it go. They just got. They can't let it. All the way go. But if that's on a third jersey, that's okay. So have your third jersey be a slight variation, and if you want to explore some different stuff, do it on a third jersey, and then have like fourth and fifth jerseys that are just batshit insane. That's what I want. You know what I'm actually looking forward to this season is because I always thought to myself, well, how many times is they going to wear that third jersey? Probably not very many. But it yeah. will be interesting if it if they take a while to do it. Like say you know you're. 50 games into the season it's gonna be kind of cool when they wear it don't you think nope <laughs> hate it i've always hated it you're good it'll, you'll be we'll be so used to the new retros i don't know i think it'll be well well the thing we'll is see. too like okay like here's the thing with the new retros like they're not even really new like when did they start wearing them again like 2009 2010 like remember, like it's been a long time. Okay, yeah, they've had the, the red retros, but like the, the white ones. Come on, I, oh, I know the white ones, but it's just like it's insane to me how it's taken literally t- like 10, 13 years for them to finally do this. It's like it's ugh. It took forever, but I don't know. I hate those. I hate. I've always hated those flags, and it's not even the flags aren't even the worst part. It's those stupid side. It's those stupid vertical, goddamn pipes that lead into the pants that bug me even more. Yeah, well, you did a, a Instagram expose on it. And <laughs> what you pointed out, like there's like eight different mismatching elements on the jersey. Oh, it's so terrible. So I'm so I shed not one. I have to this day never purchased. And like this, coming from a person who loves jerseys and will spend stupid amounts of money on dumb shit that I don't need, I've I have made a pact to never purchase an Alberta flag Calgary Flames jersey, and I still don't own one. So that's commitment. That's how much I hate these stupid jerseys. <laughs> that is commitment. Okay. All right. Um, before we get into the the report cards, let's cover. We've got a couple new signing, signings since we last came on here. Um, Simon and Garfunkel, right? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right, you know? So Simon and Levo, uh, obviously – when the signing or was Simon signing came first, and we're like, oh god, here's it, here's another just like bottom six. Maybe he's gonna push your, you know, your. Now we have four, 15 forwards again that have to we have to sit out three blood. Oh, the same thing as last year, uh, I know. But when the Levo signing came, it was a different story. You know, obviously he can probably slot right into the third line. But what do you th- tell us? What you think about Simon? I really don't mind the Dominic Simone signing at all. Like I think he. I think he pretty much gives you what Froelich used to give you. Or excuse me, I, 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 I'm sounding like Don Cherry here, eh? Hey, Don Simon, hey, we got hey, Don Simon. Hey, Where's he from? Simone. Where's he from, though? 
I don't even know. Is he? He's not French. Maybe he is. Dominique. Oh, Dominique. Simone. Dominique Simone. Come on. But it's Dominique with a K. I, oh, he's Czech. He's from the Czech. So yeah, he is like Froelich. He's literally a Froelich replacement. But I think that's the best way to think about him. Like he had a, again this theme of Brad picking up guys coming off terrible years. He had a really bad season last year. Um, he I he he played a lot. He had actually had a really good season the year before last, playing with Sidney Crosby. Ooh, wow. It's like of course he did. Shocking. He's playing, he's playing with Sid, right? But he he did have a decent like defeat. Like I think the best way to describe him is like a very similar player to Froelich. He's a decent two-way player who can play on your. He can maybe play on the second line if you need him to. But if he has a bounce back year, he's probably going to be a decent two-way guy who can like. The the one thing is he similar to like Reader Nordstrom. He seems to he seems to lack finish. Can't score. Like right. I was I literally talk I looked at all the numbers and I was talking to a bunch of Penguins fans and like yeah you like this signing now until he misses forty eight open nets. <laughs> so that's like the one the one knock on him. But I I don't mind this at league minimum. Like I th- I, I think the best way to think about him is he is almost a direct comparable to what Froelich was giving you when he was good here. So I don't mind this at all. Again, if they I don't know why he just I don't know why he had to sign Nordstrom if he was gonna sign Simone and uh, and Josh Levo. Like what's the point? Nordstrom but- is the guy who sucks. But can you score goals like Froelich did? And it sounds like no. I mean, probably not. Like maybe he he's a good four checker. He's he's gonna be able to retrieve some pucks. So I mean, I really like the idea of him playing on a line. Like if if you maybe if you move Lindholm to center, like playing on a line with Michael Backlund, I think that could work real well. But I I think his career high in goals is like eighteen or something. So or no, that's not true. Is it eighteen? No, it's not. It's eight. I meant to say I saw I saw an eight and I thought it was eighteen. Eight. Wishful thinking. Yeah, his career high playing mostly with Sidney Crosby, twenty eight points in seventy one games, and he had a pretty good defensive impact that year. So he's kind of like for a leak, right? If you think Nordstrom is reader, this is for a leak. Yep. The um, Josh Levo one I like a lot. And did we touch on Nesterov? Oh shit! I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. Which okay, that's the one that like okay. I get like I I don't really get this one. I mean I get it, but I like they still haven't signed Oliver Shillington, and maybe I'm overreacting. But this 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 problem that the organization seems to have with Shillington is kind of starting to bug me. Like, did they really need to go sign a guy who hasn't played in the NHL since 2017 out of the KHL because they don't trust Shillington? Did they really need to do that? Well, with the exodus of Brody, as well as Hamannick, as well as Gustafson, as and well Forbert. as Forbert. Defense is our number one priority. This is going to be Shillington's opportunity this year, you would think. Like, if, if he can, if there's any, a, this is perfect. So maybe Brad doesn't look down upon him as it seems. Well, he hasn't signed he was, yet, he and was, he's signing guys from goddamn Russia, it is. <laughs> to uh, fill in that because as Brad said pretty forthrightly he's a left-hand shot who plays the right side and he'll probably slot into a third pairing is I was pretty much the quote so I for me like maybe it's like putting the squeeze maybe Shillington's maybe he's just playing hardball with Oliver Shillington I don't know well probably that's what he does best hardball with the RFAs yeah so like I don't know Nikita Nesterov like if you look at some of his numbers, he played. He played with Tampa. I think he played like three full se- three fullish seasons with Tampa and Montreal. 
I mean, he had an okay rookie campaign with the Lightning. He was kind of just an offensive guy, not not doing much defensively, decent on the power play. But then his his second season, he fell off a cliff. I don't know what happened. He was really bad that year. He, his defensive impact was terrible. No offensive results, pretty much. And then he played a little bit more after being uh, moved to Montreal, and then he went to the KHL. So I don't know. It's kind of like one of those ones that's like I I don't know. I have I don't have much to base it on. I don't watch the KHL. I mean, some of his numbers are okay over there. He's the cat. He was the captain of his team. Um, but shit, I don't know. It just seems like a I, I don't know. It just kind of came out of nowhere, and I really don't have too many thoughts about it other than. I don't understand why we need another defenseman who's not very good at playing defense. That's kind of like my only like, okay, you know. Well, that's because we're we're going to be focusing on being a defensive team now. Oh, right. I forgot we said fuck offense last time. Sure. Well, you, I mean, you saw you saw what happened. Right. We, I, I forgot. I forgot that we dominated. I forgot. About all the, you you yeah. saw what happened when we become an offensive team. If, <laughs> if you're just new listening – we're quoting Jeff Ward from midseason and again going into the playoffs and post playoffs that y- you saw what happened, alluding to the year under the first year under Bill Peters when we tried to be an offensive team. You saw what happened. So, I mean, I don't mind it. In his best season in 16 17, he was okay. He was a decent offensive impact defenseman. But again, like I said, not very good defensively at all. Um, and he gives he from what the numbers suggest he 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 was an okay power play guy maybe he's here for power play too I don't know but again like to me I was just like okay well what does this mean for Shillington because I'm much I'm much more I'm I would want those minutes to go to Oliver Shillington a hell of a lot more than I would a 27 year old guy who comes over from the KHL personally but I don't know it seems fine and again like we always talk about these things like you need depth right like as soon as like as yeah. soon as one guy gets hurt, you're fucked. So uh, well, I don't, I, I don't mind it, other than the fact that I hope it doesn't mean they're just like totally just like saying telling Shillington to screw off, right? Well, I guess we'll know this year. Yeah, but if you can read between the lines, I think you're right. So that that was my they, own that was my they, only like ugh, I don't know. Yeah, well, if if you're looking at it from the outside, it looks like it's probably just a depth addition but when you hear brad's quote of he's gonna slip into the third pairing yeah and he can play the right side which is what they're looking which is like the same as shillington left hand shot who says he can play the right side it's just kind of like yeah read between the lines you don't even have to read between the lines it's pretty obvious what he's saying there so regardless i don't mind having a few extra bodies for positions we saw it last year brad did this um coming into camp create a lot of internal competition i feel like it it worked out pretty well to the extent of when you knew who should have been where eventually, like yeah, a third of the way into the season or halfway into the season, then you stick with those guys. You don't keep, you don't keep exchanging these, you know, the 12th and 13th and 14th forward just cause you can. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying like, Oh, Nestor, I don't want Nestor off here because Shillington should automatically be given the give gifted the role on the third pair without having to earn it. But just when I see they've buried him, they've buried this guy in favor of terrible defensemen like Michael Stone and Derek Forbert over the last year and a half. That's the only thing that I was like, okay, as long as they don't, as long as they give Chillington a fair chance to earn that spot, this is totally fine with me. And I mean, again, like even though we've been crushing the Nordstrom 
signing and like all the PTOs from last year. If you look at like what a team like Edmonton did, where it's like they don't sign NHL guys at all and just like, oh yeah, give the kids the like the young guys can play, and then it's like, oh shit, they're not ready yet, right? So you do have to have NHL depth. So yeah, like I said, I think that given how this defensive end looks right now, this is going to be Shillington's year to to claim a spot permanently. Yeah, that's all I ask, that he gets the chance to claim it and they don't just be like, yeah, we're going to have Nesterov play, even though he's terrible. Maybe he's going to be fine, but it's like, if you look at the minutes they gave to like guys like Michael Stone and then Forbert and even Gustafson, like, it's just kind of like, I'm just like, okay, this is fine, but I hope Shillington gets a fair shake at this shit. The one addition across the board, it seems like the fan base is unanimous about we like the Josh Lebo addition. Yeah, this is a really good addition. And I mean, I know there was concern because he, he was having a good season last year until he got hurt. He like busted a kneecap, which sounds absolutely disgusting. Yep. Um, Never so, done it, but yeah. It sounds... <laughs> but I guess the, I guess he came to Calgary and they, they the, the medical team inspected his knee before they finalized the signing. So the Flames medical staff thought he was good to go. So that was the only thing that was like, okay, and I, like, this is this is more the type of signing I want Brad making, right? Like yep. this is this is a value deal where there's like nothing but upside here. You can have a guy who can score f- probably fifteen to twenty in your middle six right hand shot for, for under a million to, bucks. Yeah, close to league minimum. Perfect. That's what I want to see more of. Less Chris Tanev, more of this kind of thing. So I have no problem with this. He's gonna provide some offensive pop five on five. Again, like I said, he's a right-hand shot, which this team desperately needs. He can fit into your middle six. It opens up some options now, finally having a natural right-winger. And, I mean, he was having a really good season last year. His even-strength offense numbers were really good before he got hurt. Um, he's like he's. I, I could see him actually slotting in well with maybe, like, Gaudreau if need be. Poor Johnny Gaudreau is always going to take these guys, eh? And then <laughs> he's just going to play with whoever's around. Versteeg, uh, Brower, Chason, <laughs> Furland. Yeah. And just, like, all he does is make them turn them into, like, 15, 20-goal scorers. But he could play well with Gaudreau because he is, like, a shoot-first-volume shooter guy, which I think would definitely uh, mesh well with Johnny Gaudreau. So I really like the Josh, Le- Josh Levo signing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see him play. Okay, let's get into some report report cards. Um, there's so much there's so much really we could cover, right? Like, yeah. We, we got to figure out. Eventually, they got to split up Monty and Johnny, you would think. Maybe you give them a real short lease to start off the season, but... That that trend just seems to be sink, a sinking one, but perhaps well, we'll get into it unless you want to touch on it real quick. Well, we can because I, it's been a it's been a topic of conversation definitely on the fan lately, anyways, and kind of across Flames fandom as we don't have a lot to talk about. Is like okay, like it kind of looks like this is going to be the Ford Group, barring some big trade that we don't see that that Brad Living has yet to make, right? So. If this is the forward group, if this is your top six, you cannot, in my brain, your brain, probably a lot of people's brains, if you're not going to address the problem outside the organization and bring in help, you have to figure out a different look internally. And I think the first place most people go to is like, okay, well, you got to split up Monahan and Gaudreau. My take is is less like, it's kind of like, I think you have to maximize the offensive potential of other guys more than you have to worry about Gaudreau and Monaghan. Um, like, because for me, first and foremost, you need to get Johnny Gaudreau going. That's what you need to do. Like, w- without, like, 
it sounds simplistic, but like screw Sean Monahan and what's good for Sean Monahan, you have to figure out, you got to get Johnny Gaudreau going this season. And you have to make sure if he's going to be your, if he's going to be the, the filter through which, through which most of your offense flows, he's got to be right. He's got to have support. He's got to have the right line mates. So I would say the goal of the flame should be to figure out who plays with Johnny Gaudreau. Okay. It, it, do, it doesn't matter if you split him up from Monahan. My my idea would be, yeah, start them together, but put Matthew Kachuk on their right wing. That would be my first instinct because you need a guy. You need Johnny Gaudreau needs a guy who can think the game at the same level he does. Matthew Kachuk for me is the only player, probably one of the only players on this team who can do that. Yeah, Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau should be playing together as far as well. Sean Monahan can as well. Yeah, We've, but to a certain extent. To a certain extent, sure. Like, like the things Monahan is good are the thing. The thing Monahan is very good at is finding those soft spots in the open ice and benefiting from great feeds from Johnny Gaudreau. But I think where that, that they've gotten into trouble with that line is it's become so one-dimensional, right? Because Monahan very rarely reciprocates to Gaudreau. Like, I, yeah. I, I, that's a very blanket statement. I think he is still a very good offensive player in your top six. But I think when you're playing with a guy like Johnny Gaudreau, who is first and foremost a playmaker, um, Sean Monaghan's reciprocating a lot more from Johnny Gaudreau than the other way around. So there's really not... The only threat there, and it's so one-dimensional, is like, okay, if you shut down Gaudreau, that's it. That's all you need to use, key on Gaudreau. If you had a guy like Matthew Kachuk, who is capable of making plays, who is more capable of driving play, who is more capable of creating his own offense, that gives you more of a dual threat. That gives that gives the... Def- the defending team a lot like it'll give them a lot more trouble when they're trying to defend Johnny Gaudreau it's because then they have this other guy they got to worry about instead of oh shit shut down Gaudreau you shut down the top line right so I think that's where my rationale of I don't care what you do with Monahan and Gaudreau but I think you need to see Gaudreau and Kachuk play together at some point yeah now there's there's two ways to look at that right if you think about Johnny with Chucky you're like fuck man that could be deadly right that does leave a problem with the depth of the rest of the line. We'll get to that in a sec. But Johnny with Chucky, like you said, really, I mean, we kind of saw it a little bit like with, with Iggy and Tangay, right? There, You have that pairing where you have the guy that can finish pretty much anywhere on the ice, especially in the slot area with Monaghan. Um, with Tangay, the playmaker, or Camilleri, who could also put the puck in the net. Um, and then... At the time, I think it was what Lankow. It was Lankow or Jokinen or Conroy, varying on depending on who what blender Daryl Sutter was or Brent Sutter was using using for the evening. So there's different layers of of skill and playmaking ability, but historic. I mean, with Hoodler, it was a bit of a different story too, right? Yeah, Hoodler, that's true. Hoodler had the ability to make plays. There's a lot of chemistry and and. That that line had a, had a lot of juice, right? Yeah, for sure. And again, mostly because all three you have three guys who can create offense there. It yeah. wasn't like and I, I think that's the, the I think like not that Lindholm's a problem, but I think having two guys like Monahan and Lindholm are a lot more similar to me in the offensive zone than people think. I think they're almost exactly the same player in the offensive zone. Like for for as as decent as Lindholm's two hundred foot game is, in the offensive zone he doesn't. I, I personally haven't seen him do much. He, he doesn't do much in terms of retrieving pucks or pulling pucks off the wall or making plays. He's kind of almost beat for beat similar to Monaghan where he, he is able to get open and can snipe it. 
but that's kind of it. So, like, what Johnny Gaudreau has two guys who do the exact same thing, and he has to get them the puck, essentially. Yeah. And now, if you take away their rush game, because we've been talking about that ad nauseum. Yeah. I mean, we'll try to just not spend too much time on it today, but if you take away the rush game, which what we've seen Bill Peters' adjustments after the avalanche and, and Ward has continued it, is to rely more on the dump and chase. But the, the problem with that is this line... None of them retrieve pucks. Maybe Lindholm, but he always seems to be the guy coming in last. It's usually Johnny and Monty, the guys, you know, coming out of the zone with the puck, and then they're just dumping it in. They're not getting the puck back, and now they're not creating any rush opportunities, rush chances. Yeah, I've never seen Lindholm be a particularly effective forechecker, personally. So, if you're taking that away from Johnny Gaudreau's game, because the season that we finished first in the West... Johnny Gaudreau was the second only to Connor McDavid in zone entries, offensive zone entries, controlled. Yep. Second only to Connor McDavid. If you, if you think about offensive uh, zone entries, you probably think of a few guys. Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, you know, maybe Crosby, you know, three, four years ago. Jack Eichel, maybe. Jack Eichel. Johnny Gaudreau was second that year under Bill Peters. How much generation do we see off the rush between johnny um monty and lindholm pretty much on a nightly basis they were just this guy's was score at will they just come down the ice and score 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 well of the 36 goals he scored that year 20 of them were off off of rush plays i wonder how many of monty's were a lot and that's the thing like i've kind of seen this narrative going around where it's like I think you people are saying i think people are you guys are putting too much stock in the system change I don't know. I'm of the belief that a, a system implemented by the coach has a huge impact on how players play and how players are able to be effective. So that's just me and my philosophy. But I, I think even if you just look at this anecdotally and not even with any methodology at all, you saw three guys in Lindholm, Gaudreau, and Monaghan have massive seasons last year, and all three of them had major drop-offs. Last year, in, yep. In by, by almost every metric, like... How else do you explain it? You you can't like that's that that to me is the line of demarcation and why they weren't as successful this year. I think there are other reasons too, but it's like it's so glaring. So if you're gonna take away the rush game from Johnny and you're still gonna have him with two other guys that are relying on him to create everything, when the fuck is he gonna create anything? If you can't retrieve the puck in the offensive zone, then you're gonna rely on offensive uh, zone faceoffs one or power play. Well, and I think the thing, too, that I think the biggest problem, like, and I don't know if we, this was a story during the playoffs, is, like, why the hell is Jeff Ward having the top line within, like, so heavily in the D zone, like, starting their, like, face-offs, or their zone starts, sorry, I couldn't spit that out properly. Like, their D zone's uh, face-off percentage was through the roof. It was ridiculous. They were starting, like, every shift in the defensive zone. That makes no sense. They're, tr they, and... And somebody made a good point on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, saying, like, the team, and this was a story at the beginning of the year, if you remember, the team had asked Sean Monaghan to kind of, like, alter the way he plays, to be a bit more of a defense, like, try to mold him into a more of a two-way play-driving centerman. Do you remember that? Yep. Um, like, they asked them straight up, and I think it was, I, I couldn't find the quote, but I remember that being a story, is, like, they want Sean Monaghan to play a certain type of way. Like, they're trying to force the top line to be something they're not. They're trying to say, you guys, we want you to be like the, a play-driving two-way line, like the Bergeron-Marchand line, or like uh, the uh, the Kopitar line back in the day, or the point line, or 
or the uh, Sean Couturier line or the Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone line. That's not what these guys are. No, they're not. And they're never going to be that no matter how much you want them to be, no matter how try how hard you try to get them to be that. I'm sorry, that's not what they are. They're and not so, going to be that. Stop trying to make them that. You can't you can't rely on them to be that. Well, and maybe they will get better, but they're never going to be as good as you as you're expecting them to be. They're going to fill be able to fill those shoes entirely. And you've seen two seasons now where you've seen polar opposites. Yeah. Ones where they they're playing in a system totally designed to back up their skill set versus last year when they're trying to force them to play more defense. I mean, the reason why Jeff Ward has had him all those defensive zone face-offs in the playoffs was because if they couldn't play defense the way that you were just describing, then the systems aren't going to work. Yeah, exactly. It's all predicated on a faulty premise, right? It's like, of course this isn't going to work. Your your entire system is based on something that's not going to work. It's not been working, right? And then instead of like knowing exactly what your strengths and your skills are on, from a player to player basis. Yeah. And then you go all in on their skills. I mean, that's, that's more so what we saw under the 2019 season under Bill Peters. Really. Well, and even 18. like, and I think that was even reflected in the fact that they had Michael Backlund alongside Gaudreau and Monaghan for like 20 plus games is like, they were trying to mold that line into a two way defensive line. It didn't work. It's not going to work. That's not how that's you're not going to be successful doing that. You're not going to go to Patrick Kane in Chicago and say, you know what, Patrick, I know you're an absolutely deadly offensive scorer, but you know, we're really going to need you to commit to defense. And I know you suck at it, but we're really going to need you to try. It's like, he sucks at defense. He's not going to be good at it. Like you don't go to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and try to make them Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux or Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone. That's not what they are. They are not those players. It's not their strengths. Listen, if if Brad uh, Patrice Bergeron was if if there was as many Patrice Bergerons as the coaches would like, exactly, then there wouldn't be a Patrice Bergeron. Everybody would be that that good. Like that's the reason why he's in the upper echelon is because it's not something you really teach. It's just something inherent. It's, it's a skill set these guys have. There are very few players like that. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly's one. I think Philippe Deneau is is maybe a little less of a no, lesser known one. Like, there's very few. There's very few groups of players that, at an elite level, are a your top offensive lines and drive play and are incredible in all three zones. Like, like I said, it's probably the Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak line, mostly through Bergeron. It's the Couturier, Giroux, whoever's playing with them, whether that's Konechny. And then it's probably whatever Ryan, whatever line Ryan O'Reilly's on. And then you could probably say that about the Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty line. And I think you can say that now about the Braden Point line because Braden Point is so goddamn good. But like, and maybe I'm missing somebody, but like, it's kind, it's a rarity, like it's a luxury. And if you want to build your team around that, you have to bring in a player. Like we've been goddamn saying forever, you need another play driving top six. You have to bring that in because if you want to play that way, you can't do it with what's here, I don't think. Like maybe, and we'll get into this next, I think, with what's here, you can maybe make something like that work, but it's not going to work filtering through Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm. Never will. Like it's not. that's not how it's going to work, especially Monaghan. So you're never going to get that from it, those that combination of guys, ever. So stop trying it. Stop trying to force them. It's not even a square peg in a round hole. It's like... You're trying to jam an anvil into a 
into a Xbox and thinking <laughs> it'll give you a, make give you a game like it's it's not even compatible in the least. All right, well, let's get into some report cards. Let's start with um, let's start with Jeff Ward. Speaking speaking of systems, actually, before we go to Jeff Ward, we better start with with Bill. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I think I think it's safe to say what Bill's <laughs> mark was, regardless of the racist comments. It was terrible. We were you were like get this guy. You were more on this than I was. Like he needs to be fired immediately. Just because how bad the team was playing, I thought it was a saving grace that we turns out that he had those racist comments. Well, we could get rid of him, just so we get not. Be, I know what you mean. Obviously, yeah. obviously, not. yeah. So at first, I, I have him down as a fail, an F. But let's change that. He's expelled. Motherfucker is expelled from whatever you want to call it. But regardless of the racial stuff, um, for me, he was still an F. He he was an utter utter like fail this season up until that point. When... It was an F the minute the second game two started in the twenty nineteen playoffs. It had it was like it never it never recovered. I would love to really know what went on between him and James Neal in practice because you like to know that. Ugh. I kind of have a feeling that maybe it's about this topic, but I guess maybe we will probably never know. It's it was it was definitely something was was askew with Bill Peters and James Neal I think. I wonder it and I wonder if it was his inability to to make an adjustment against the Avalanche instead of totally abandoning abandoning ship on what worked all season long. It it would be something it would be one of my if you could give me like five things I want to know the most it's like that would be number one would be why what the hell happened to make you trade Dougie Hamilton. Number two would be something along the lines of James Neal and and Bill Peters because you like you don't go about acquiring Milan Lucic lightly unless there's something that you cannot get over. Like James Neal obviously was like, I'm not playing for this dipshit. Like that's what the most likely explanation is to me. So yeah. to, be a, to be a fly on Brad Schiele's wall. All right, let's get into Ward. I have him coming in as a, at a B. I feel like he was the benefit of a interesting situation because all he had to really do was make it fun again. Um, instead hey, of, let the guys play ACDC in the practice. He, oh, wow. Which, you know, to his credit, worked. And at the time, you know, for him to, to recognize what probably needed to happen and actually translates to actually working um you know marks for that but i just feel like if i want to give him a, a fair mark i'll give him a b just because the team did turn it around but i think that's his ceiling from what we've seen from his game time decisions to late game decisions to roster lineup decisions on a day-to-day basis it's just like i don't know system decisions i feel like and i and it seems to me, if you're if I'm on Twitter, probably Instagram's the same. You know, the the fan base as a whole just as much of a great guy Ward is. I think his ceiling is about a B. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. Right? It's like if you listen to the one a couple of times ago, it's like 
He's probably fine, but he's not. I did like it. He's not going to move the team forward, in my estimation, in the way they need to be. I don't think he would need to have a, like a like a six skill team um, operating under the proper system for him to be able to not have to do much of the X's and O's work. Yeah, and if, again, maybe they bring in an assistant who can help him out with that. If that was the scenario, and he just had to kind of like you know mediate the room and make sure everybody was happy and stuff as a good assistant usually does exactly i mean is he not just a perfect breed for an assistant coach again like again it reeks of jim playfair glenn gollison bringing in the assistant guy who everybody likes trying to force him into being a head coach never works so i mean if you're looking at this season alone like again we wouldn't be so i wouldn't be so down on him if there wasn't so many red flags of how he handles the team at critical moments like again we've been through this a million times but it's just like there's so many times during the year where i was like what are you doing like there's there's a minute left and you didn't take a timeout and johnny drone tremont hand on the bench and milan lucic is on the ice and it took you a goddamn eternity to get michael backland off the wing tobias like, readers on the ice tobias readers playing in the top six you're playing ronaldo in the playoffs you're like just so many different things so i mean that that to me in the final like grading of of Jeff Ward weighs heavily, like, sure, this dude took over a really shitty situation. Like, is that not one of the most weird, tough spots to come in being a, an assistant coach? Like, it was a pretty, it was a pretty precedent sent setting situation where your coach gets fired for racist comments. Not even fired, I guess. I keep saying that, but they didn't officially fire him. So, I mean, the fact that he was able to do that and come in and, like, not only keep things keep things on track but like the team got better and ultimately made the playoffs that's a that's a good sign and i mean the, the the one thing is that's kind of bugging me though is like for all the talk his talk about defense is like they weren't that good defensively after he took over like they their offense was better like their expected goal rates like i said their expected goal rates started to climb up in about mid-december and started going through the roof in like january february like they're really starting to find their offensive game there but for all this talk about defense, they were pretty meh defensively since he took over. So if his system is implement defense, I don't think that worked very well. And then, I mean, again, like the playoffs are going to leave leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. So, I mean, good job taking over. Like, again, he if you had just had him be the interim, now he returns to assistant coach, I would have commended him and said A+. Plus. But the fact that he is now still the head coach is like, yeah, probably a B or a B-. minus. Yeah, well put. Okay, let's get to the top line. We'll come to Brad after. Top line, um, obviously, the the subject of much criticism throughout the entire season, much negative anticipation coming into the playoffs, during the playoffs, and then obviously much criticism after the playoffs once again. So, obviously, they had a terrible season, especially relatively speaking to the season prior. Yeah. Um, but if you're really going to give them an honest and, and fair grade, looking at kind of all aspects, why don't we start with Johnny? Um, what, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on Gondreau were, again, like, obviously he was hindered by this 
by the system change. Like I've, I'm, I think that's fair to say, even if you don't agree with the overarching hypothesis that most of the team's issues were due to that. Like you can't tell me that Johnny Gaudreau benefited from, from this change in how the team played. Like if anybody, if anybody suffered, it was him. So he gets a bit of an asterisk for that reason. Um, the fact that Brad didn't bring him in a player I think that he needed also kind of gives me like pause. The thing is, it's like he had probably his worst, his weakest season of his entire career. Yep. So, and it's probably the first season where he was noticeably not great in terms of what he does best, which is create offense. So I, it's kind of it's kind of hard to judge, seeing as he has been so had been so good, especially coming off that absolutely insane season. To see a drop off like this, like, I don't think we any of us were expecting him to come out and put up another hundred point season, right? We were expecting him to drop off a little bit, but I mean the fact that he, like for most of the season, was so rough. I mean, it's it's hard to defend his his overall performance. Like, I mean, he still finished with almost sixty points in seventy games, and he had forty assists still, right? So it's not like yeah. he was god awful, but he wasn't the best player. He probably wasn't even the second best player. Probably wasn't even the third best player. Probably wasn't even the best, the fourth best player on this team this year. So. I mean, I, and everybody knows I'm a big Gaudreau defender, and he's had to do it on his own for so long. But again, it's it's hard not to say this season was a massive disappointment for Johnny Gaudreau. Agreed. So, so I would say, like, probably he gets a he probably gets a seep. You know what he he did? That's the other thing too. Like I said, their expected goal rates shot up at the end of the year, mostly due to him finally finding his game. And, like, I thought he was fine in the playoffs. I didn't think he was great. I thought he was fine. Um, so I'd give him a B-. minus. Okay. Because I I kind of looked at this um, regular season and playoffs. I gave him a C for the regular season. Yeah. Um, they were just – they were brutal, that line, for for that whole – Yeah, for first, the most – For yeah. the first third of the season, at least – like they were underwater and getting crushed almost every night it seemed. Yeah. And like you said there's a lot of probably in you know implications as to why he he struggled so much this year that maybe out were out of his control but even even still regardless um like you know the greatest players of all time still find a way. So I, I gave him a C for the regular season, and I gave him a B- minus in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think, with again, there's so many think pieces going on about how what's wrong with Goudreau. It's like he had his worst season probably since entering the league. He still managed to put up just under point per game, 58 points in, what, like 71 games? So, and I mean... His underlying metrics are definitely nothing to write home about this year, and especially in, in, in terms of offense. But, I mean, if this is your worst season and you're still putting up just under point per game, I expect a bounce back here from Johnny Gaudreau. So, like, as much as everybody's freaked out about, oh, dude, let's write another think piece about how Gaudreau is never going to win, it's like, had a bad season. It happens to the best of them. Okay, now let's... And and like you said, if Johnny Gaudreau is your best player, and 
hypothetically he is as far as point production goes, if he has a season ranking a gradient of C or B minus, then it's probably pretty apparent that your team probably struggled as well, which right. they did. Yeah. So you can't. He has to be. He has. Well, you hear it time and time again. Your best players have to be your best players, and that's why, right? So if he's got to be, he has to be nothing short of an A, A minus. Like he can't be anywhere in the Bs or Cs. If you're Johnny Gaudreau, you have to be an A. You have to continue to be elite. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. And I mean, again, for me, it kind of always comes back to the, geez, relying on this guy so much. It's just, that's a lot to ask of a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. And he's been capable of it in two out of the last three seasons. Definitely wasn't this year. But the reason I always kind of just give him like a, a little bit of a pass this year is like, he has done it for so long, pretty much on his own, that it's just like, I mean... He's, he's bound to have one bad season. And it just shows you, like, as the team goes, as Johnny Gaudreau goes, the team goes. And I don't necessarily pin that on Johnny Gaudreau. I pin that on the the manager not bringing in pieces to support Johnny Gaudreau. So. All right, so let's go to his counterpart. Counterpart, you can't you can't have a conversation without, of, with, of Johnny Gaudreau without Sean Monahan. I mean, I mean these sons of bitches got engaged on the exact same day, did they not? They would. We had a pact. I <laughs> uh, love it. So, all right, Monahan, go ahead. Well, I mean, to me, he was. Is the... there? Is there? Are there as many as excuses? No, for Monahan as there is for Gaudreau. Okay, I don't think so because, again, like the fact that he struggled so hard, and yeah, like we said, they asked him to change his role a little bit this year. But I mean, the fact that Johnny Gaudreau struggled and that he was this. He struggled that hard. Just shows you how he is relying on Gaudreau for a lot of his production. And I mean, the thing, the knock on Sean Monahan is, which I don't know if I hundred percent agree with, but I get where people are coming from. Is if he's not scoring, he does nothing. He didn't score enough this year. He didn't create enough offense this year. In fact, he was very much below average this year. You combine his ability when you combine his below average offensive impact with the fact that he's absolutely terrible in his own zone. I mean, how can you say? How can you be like, yeah, he was so fine this year. He was terrible this year. Has he always been that bad defensively? I mean, pretty much. And I mean, I guess you just you've it's never been so apparent because there was there's been such little offensive production as. Well, again, it's kind of like an archetype. Some of the, a lot of those top line guys that follow, it's like it's like you said. If everybody was Patrice Bergeron, nobody would be like, "Holy shit, I wish we had Patrice Bergeron." They are yeah. a rarity. They are like an extinct animal. They don't really exist. Like most top line players are like this. They produce offense and they suck at defense. Like, I mean, you look at Drysaitel and McDavid. Their defensive impacts are some of the worst in the entire league. Guys like Patrick Kane, like I said, like. A lot of those guys follow that same archetype. So, but then, when, I mean, when you're relying on this guy to be your number one centerman and he's not scoring at his usual clip, and I mean, he still did finish with 22 goals. And that's where I kind of like flip flop on the Sean Monahan criticism and hate. It's like, oh, he only scores goals. That's all he does. It's like, oh, shit, that's terrible. Who wants that? 
Nobody, it's like the same thing where people throw that criticism at line A. It's like, oh, he only scores goals. Oh, he only does the thing that's the hardest thing to do in the entire NHL. Okay. I know, you're, you're looking at this, you're like, oh, he only scored 22 this year. What a yeah. terrible year. A terrible year. <laughs> that's his lowest in his career since his rookie year. Like, Sean Monaghan has... What, a, what an asshole. He only scored 22 goals this year. What a piece of shit. He only can score 20 or 30 every single year. Get him off the team. It's like, that's where I have a problem with that criticism. It's like, well, if he only scores goals, I'll take that every day of the week over only doing something else because that's the hardest thing to do in the league. So, like, Sean Monaghan has the most goals scored of anybody in the 2013 draft class, including Nathan McKinnon. He's played less games, but he still has more goals than anybody in that draft class. So, I don't think he's this, like, there's kind of this false dichotomy right now in Flame Phantom where it's like, he's not a true number one center, so he's shit. Everyone's like, oh, if he didn't play with Goudreau or if he was on another team, he'd be, wouldn't even, he'd be a third line center. It's like, no, Sean Monaghan is still a good top six player and can score goals. Well, and then this is why we always, you and I are pretty much always standing up for the players and we're, we're pinning it usually on management. If he's not a legit yeah, exactly. center, is that his problem? No. Why are we taking it out on him? When, exactly. When, like, Ex- like, did you expect Craig Conroy to be like a dominant first line center in the NHL back in the day? No. Everybody was like, why don't they go get a Ginla top line center? This is stupid. We're playing second and third line centermen to play with a Ginla and have career years. Oh, wow, what a shock. It's like, it's not his fault that it's not in his skill set, probably, to be a true elite number one center in this league. So I, I, like, I, I get if you're relying on him to be your number one center and he doesn't come through, that's a problem. But again, is that his problem? No. Yeah. And I feel like we brought this up too throughout the, uh, the season, especially coming into the playoffs. When you're looking at this top line, and you know one of the criticisms is like, oh, they're not coachable, you know, the blah blah blah. And it's just like, yeah. no. If anything, they're they're too coachable. Totally. Like these these guys try to work within a, a system and a framework that they probably maybe didn't really think was going to work all that well, but they gave it a shot anyways. And much of the sacrifice of their point production, which they, you know, and then now all the fan base is, is all their fault. Yeah, like that coachable thing. I think that was a real like uh, light bulb moment for us when we were like, you know what? This is dumb. I think they're just, I think the problem is they listen to the coaching staff too much. Exactly. They dumped it in way too much. Why? It's like, like, have you uh, ever seen those guys? They'll, they'll, they're like the most agreeable, exactly. low key guys ever. They would do whatever you t- If you told Sean Monahan to jump, he'll just be like, how high? Like, okay. You I'll probably could have got 10, 12 more goals at least out of those two, um, if they would have been just like, fuck it, we're not going to dump it in all year. Like, if they had the attitude of Matthew Kachuk, they'd probably see better results. <laughs> like, Matt, if, like that's what's so funny to me with the, like, oh, they're not coachable. It's like, and then when you have a guy like Kachuk who like says what he thinks, or guys like Marchand, everyone's like, see, that's what you want. It's like, I guarantee those guys are tougher to coach than guys like Shawnee, Shawnee, Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan are who will just do whatever you say. Yeah. But they're but then they they become the linchpins, right? That's yeah. just like you you have to have them on your team. So again, like I think the problem with Sean Monahan is right now is that he's showing that if Johnny Gaudreau is not the top of the, his game, he can't do anything. And I don't I I like that's a problem for this team. 
that's a problem for him. If you can't rely on Sean Monaghan to do anything without Johnny Gaudreau, then that's a big problem. But the other that, thing too is like, everybody always says this, but we've never fucking seen him with yeah, anybody else. Exactly. So we don't try it. We don't actually know. And I mean, I've posted, I've posted a bunch of statistics over like a five-year span showing how Mona, pretty much every single uh, metric Monaghan when he split from Gaudreau is terrible. But I mean, the sample size on that is still so small. We don't know. It's well, just then, the only reason that would is, be so if it was from random line changes and maybe some injuries. Plus, the sample size is so small. It's like, well, who is he playing with? I mean, was he with Backlund? Like, like the he's never been tested in a situation where he's been, you know, in a position to succeed without Johnny Gaudreau. Like over the long term, he has played pretty much almost every shift since. The, his sophomore year with Johnny Gaudreau, right? So it's like, we don't know. Like, you know you need to have a setup man and a playmaker um, to a certain extent. Like, what if what if Monty centered uh, Chucky and Mangiapani? Yeah, there's like so many options, right? Like, but they never goddamn try them just because they're, so st- they're so stuck to this. These guys play well together. And sure, they play well together. But I mean, like, Okay, they sucked together last year, and Monahan showing that he's got this over reliance on Gaudreau. And I mean, you're telling me like if you've ever played sports or done anything, he's played with Gaudreau for what seven years, game yeah. in and game out. You're telling me his game hasn't like adapted to be reliant on Johnny Gaudreau? Like I don't think so. That seems like a pretty that seems like a pretty solid hypothesis to me. I think a lot of his parts of his game have probably atrophied because he's literally. All he's had to do for the past seven years is cruise into the slot and get a wicked feed and bury it. So, I mean, for the benefit of the team, like you, I think you got to. Again, I don't want to take all the blame off Sean Monahan. If he can't be effective without Johnny Gaudreau, then that's a problem for him, and he probably shouldn't be on this team. But we've never really seen him apart from Johnny Gaudreau in any real sense. Like a little bit this year with Dubé and Mangiapane, but that was like what one game. Yeah. All right, so what's your what do you what's your grade for Monahan for the season? It's got to be a little tougher on Monahan, but again, like I I still don't think he was as bad as everyone makes him out to be. I'll say he's probably like he's probably a C minus. All right, um, I'll give him a D plus. Okay, because and most of that is that's this is where it is the player's fault. It's not the GM's fault if he's atrophied. Right, and he's not yeah, exactly. capable of working on on his game outside of whenever you do it, right? And if he he, you've showed the stats. If he can't be an effective player without Johnny Gaudreau, that is his problem. Like, well, be other, more effective. Yeah, so, and the other thing is too, like the the defensive zone start thing that really only started in the playoffs. Like for the most part this year, he and Gaudreau and Lindholm, like. They, they, they played against top quality competition a lot of the time, but they were starting the offensive zone. Like that's the double-edged sword of like, well, if he's not a top six player, if he's not a top line center, don't ask him to be a top, top player. But when you're getting the prime ice time and you're still not producing at a rate you should be, then that's yeah. on you. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to the point of like, if all he does is score goals and he only scored 22. Yeah. He, he's a D plus. All right, I think probably we may agree here that the best player on the line throughout the entire duration of the season was Lindholm. Yeah, uh, probably no doubt. But I do want to I do want to preface that because I think 
I kind of find myself in this awkward situation where I find myself <laughs> overly defending Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau, but then also having to temper some people on what Elias Lindholm is. Because like I was talking about previously, like I think five on five in terms of what they do on the offensive zone, I do think Sean Monahan is a is a better offensive player than Elias Lindholm. Like I th- I think Lindholm because he's had two like a lot of he scored a lot since he's come over here from Carolina and he did have that great season last year. I think like how many goddamn times do we have to hear oh this guy's the next Bergeron? I'm sorry, no. <laughs> Like, no, he's not. He's not even in the same stratosphere. Is he a decent two-way player? Yes. He's not anywhere near a Patrice Bergeron. So I, th- I feel like I kind of always have to just remind people that it's like Lindholm is good, but is he a top-line right winger or a top-line center on any other team in this league? Probably the same thing with Monaghan, right? Like, he's not... He's, he probably shouldn't be a top line re- relied on in that role. So well, not not the best teams in the league. He's not exactly. So I th- I think Lindholm again. He was the best player on this line this season for sure. But I just think people automatically because the thing that always happens is like oh get Monahan off the top line center give it to Lindholm. I don't know if that's if in the end that is a if if that's a benefit to your team because I do think Sean Monahan is still the superior creator of offense and the superior player with Johnny finisher. So I'll just say that first, my little Lindholm disclaimer. Yeah. Fair. The thing is this year, like I, the, the way he was utilized last year and what he did last year was excellent. Last year, he was able to be the defensive conscience for Gaudreau and Monahan while scoring a lot. This year he scored a lot. He kind of rode a high shooting percentage and had a lot of lucky goals, but his defensive game took a step back. That's what I think the biggest takeaway for me for Elias Lindholm is, is where last year he was an effective defensive conscience for that line. This season he wasn't, and he he was on a lot of nights, I think, probably below replacement in terms of, in terms of allowing quality chances against. So I, I think Lindholm had a very good year, but it's kind of like... It's concerning to me that the one part of his game that gets so often praised being his even his even strength def, uh, defensive impact and his defensive game at five on five took a step back this year. Like he was still he was still okay, and he was still uh, above water, but it it wasn't it wasn't as strong as it was the year before, even the year before that. So that part definitely took a step back, and that's kind of concerning to me. Yeah, I mean. If he wasn't able to bury the puck so much in that first uh, third of the season when Johnny Monty just really struggled, because yeah. he was kind of he was kind of the only guy keeping that line afloat really for for much of the season. Totally. That's that's why I think we're you know we can it's safe to say he was the best of the line and why he stands out a bit more. Yeah, and it was like anytime you needed a goal, it was like oh yeah. my god, thank God Lindholm just scored. Like he yeah. scored a lot of big goals lucky or not like his shooting percentage was over what was it like over 17 percent. i think his career average is like 11 so he definitely outshot his chances but i mean just thank god he did or the team wouldn't have made the playoffs exactly all right i gave him a b but i i feel like he tapered off and lost some of his effectiveness in the playoffs yeah he had a rough he had probably yeah he had a rough playoffs especially against the stars so i had him a b regular season c playoffs 
Yeah, I'll give him a B. I'll give him a B. That's a good... I'll give him a B plus, just because... I think he did He did score, like, and that's kind of a weird thing to give a guy extra marks for. But, I mean, dude scored a lot of clutch goals this year. A lot of tying goals, a lot of late-game goals, a lot of game-winning goals. I think he was even top 10 in game-winning goals this year. So, in terms of shot share and quality shot share, he wasn't great, which is kind of surprising. Like, his possession metrics weren't great. He's known for being a two-way player. His two-way game wasn't great. He still had a career high in goals. Um, and, I mean... Of the three on that line, he was definitely the most effective player this year. So, and he was and the thing that was weird though. Here's what's weird is how god awful he was on the penalty kill this year. Dude was terrible on the penalty kill this season. Terrible, like one of the worst impact forwards in the league who like played over a hundred minutes on the penalty kill. He was bad. I don't know why that is, but he had a rough season on the penalty kill. Anyways, okay. Now, going to the second line here, before we get into it, there I want to quiz you because I have – there's only four players on the team that are in the A category for Ooh, me. I think we think along the same lines, man. And I want you to guess who those four are before we go any further. Well, one is definitely Kachuk. One is definitely Manjapani. Yes and yes. Um, I don't know which way you're going on three and four. If it was me ranking it, one would be Rasmus Anderson and the other would be TJ Brody, but I don't know if you're including Brody in this. Yes and yes. Yes, that's what I thought. So, yeah, those are the only four players that I have in the A category. Let's go, I... right, let's go right to Chucky. Um, yep. I, gave, I gave him an A for both, regular yep. season and, and playoffs. Um, now... Out of those four players, he was the only player to have an A ranking in both regular season and playoffs. Everybody else kind of dropped off a bit for me for the playoffs. Yeah, like, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt he was your most valuable player this year. Um, no question. Like, no question. And, like, thank God. Like, if you had to, like you said, the A guys, if you had to rank four, probably only four guys you could rely on on a night-in, night-out basis, I, I would say five, because I think Gio was still still pretty good, even though he tailed off of the playoffs. But Kachuk, Monge, Brody, and Rasmus Anderson were pretty much the only four guys you could rely on to be great or good every single night. Matthew Kachuk led this team offensively. Matthew Chuck did pretty much everything you could ask from this year. The only thing, again, similar with Lindholm that kind of took a step back. Again, for all this talk about team defense, the Fords, who were supposed to be defensive, his defensive game took a slight step back. He struggled a little bit in his own zone this year. But, I mean, it's hard to argue what Matthew Chuck did for this team this year <laughs> in such a tough year. And do you want to talk about, I mean, can you call him intangibles? Can you call freight training Zach Cassian? <laughs> Three games, three times in one game. Is that Dude, an intangible? That's, that's tangible. That looks that pretty tangible. That's tangible as shit, man. That's but, the most tangible thing you can point to. But it was also, you know, in between the games and the, 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 you know, the gamery going on between them was, yeah, that was epic. Even him with Drew Doughty, the off ice comments, th those are some of the intangibles, eh? Exactly. And that's like the kind of shit you want to see. Like, again, I, I'm not a big believer in, like, the always good in the room and shit, but I mean, like, stuff like that does matter. Like, that's leadership. 
that that's yeah. that's not just like saying oh he's a leader in the room like you can see it every night you can see it in how he plays you could see it when he dropped the gloves with blake wheeler in game two at center ice that's fucking leadership yeah and i think like you you started to hear it a lot this season um with with some of the commentary from the analysts uh, and, and broadcasters and i think it's it's pretty accurate he literally he drags his team into each and every game pretty much each and every game every night he's he's still got to work on that i think he's somewhere in the 80 to 85 percent of the time um that that he does that there's maybe maybe it's not possible to do it up in the in the 90s but you know you think of guys like messier i think he he was capable of doing it so if there's an area for him to to continue to work on and and even get better at i think that's the way to do it is that 82 grind of a season how can he yeah how can he show up even more than he currently has which is already exemplary he's ranking in as an a but if there was room for improvement for him i think that um if he can be even more consistent like there's no chance there's there's no doubt this guy is the next captain oh no doubt at all and i mean that's the one thing you just touched on is like the consistency because that's the one thing i would like to see him and again, I'm going to kind of relate it back to how he's utilized more so than like on him specifically. But you would like to maybe see him start like being more off. Because this was kind of my thing in the playoffs. It's like, yeah, it's great he's doing all this shit and talking and getting involved in all this shit. But what, where we need Matthew Chuck the most is on the scoreboard. And I think that's never been truer, especially if the top six isn't going to be addressed from by outside means. Matthew Chuck needs to be an offensive threat every single night next season. And I don't know, this may be a weird take, but like when you look at how he's utilized, he's heavily deployed in the defensive zone. He's playing tough minutes. I think next season for Matthew Chuck to take that next step, he needs to be on the top line. He needs to be getting a, a little bit less of a defensive responsibility. Or if you want to use him as, if you want to use a Berger online, put him with Lindholm and Mangiapane and let them go wild. But that would be my one thing with Matthew Chuck is like, Okay, it's time for him to take over this team offensively too, because that's where you really need it. Yep. Um, the other area of caution I have, and I mentioned this during the playoffs, was he's got to be careful when he gets into the reckless territory because yeah. this guy's way too valuable to be playing with fire. Um, obviously, that's part of his nature as he plays, he dances over the line, he straddles it, right? But he's got to know that he can't go into a reckless mode at any time because he's far too valuable to be taking that type of risk. Yeah. And he did it pretty well this year, but then I think like maybe in the playoffs, like fighting guys like Corey Perry, like he can't be doing that. He's got to, he's got to get that under control a little bit. Yeah. And then he, it was basically trying to get Ben back for the spear, which he probably would have, he would have popped him. um, If Alexiak wasn't right there, but that's the thing. If you're, if you're going to get reckless, you're going to open yourself up for, for more chances of injury. Yeah, totally agree. All right, Mangiapane. Love me some Mangiapane. This guy was obviously the breakout of the season. I did a Twitter poll uh, earlier on. And who was the most improved? He's definitely, him and Dubé were the top two, but Mangiapane is going to win that poll. 
Yeah, I would say Dubé's more improved because, like, shit, bro, I think we saw this coming. He was awesome the year before, right? So we were yeah. all, like, we were all aboard the Manjipani train in the summer for sure. Doot, doot. Yeah, so I, I think he was easily, five on five, the strongest skater on the team this year. I mean, Matthew Chuck did his thing, but he gets special teams times. He gets special teams uh, action all the time. Manjipani had a hell of a season five on five. Most of his goals came in that line. Not only did he replace Michael Froelich, on the flank of the new 3M line, as soon as he was, as soon as he did, that line was an absolute machine. Like, and yeah. he, similar with Kachuk and Backlund, dude gets the toughest minutes, all the tough zone starts. All he did was drive play on that line. He led the team in uh, Corsi four, Corsi four per sixty goals, four per sixty expected goals, four per sixty high danger chances per sixty. This dude led the team pretty much in every metric, five on five. He was a beast this year, and I cannot wait to see him play next year. A total upgrade on Froelich, no doubt, and yeah. pretty remarkable. I mean, I'll give you full-on props. You saw this coming. You called this before it happened because he went from playing on the fourth line with uh, Ryan Hathaway and Derek Ryan, and that line was unbelievable, Yeah. to, play, to solidifying a top-six role in the NHL. The next season that was pretty remarkable yeah great job by Monge. i do feel like he tapered off a bit in the playoffs and that's probably yeah, for due, sure due, due to a lack of matthew kachuk the absence of matthew kachuk yeah um which to me is is you know there's two ways to look at it it's right it's obviously it speaks to how valuable kachuk is and no one can deny that but i it, it would be nice if if you if matt if a guy like Manji Apani or even Backlund, if they could still elevate their game and find um, a way to continue to be just as effective without a guy like Matthew Kachuk, but maybe that's not even possible to do. Yeah, know. so I'll give Manji Apani an A, but I mean, for next season, you do want to see him be more consistent. And again, like Kachuk, he needs to have more more impact on the actual scoreboard. All right, Backlund, I think will probably be in the same boat here. We'll give him a bit of a pass because, I mean, yeah. Ward had him playing in, an, in, a, in a wing position that was not even his natural position. He Backlund had a really you know, tough first half of the season. He couldn't put the puck in the net, but he was pretty unbelievable in the second half when he found his game on that line. Um, and I remember some nights, like, he... I think we even had a few podcasts. Like he was God. There's literally one called Backlund is God after the Bo- the Boston end to end rush where he was just, oh, fuck, that and was that sick. that was in the same neighborhood of that Nashville game where yeah. it they were just that line was so dominant it was fuck. incredible. Those so a, awesome. a, a tale of two seasons for Michael Backlund. Again, we'll give him a pass because Jeff Ward was crazy and decided to put a lifelong centerman on the wing of two guys who can't play defense and expected him to thrive. It was like, okay, that's never going to work. And um, I feel like this is another guy as well that um, had a hard time adjusting to the new system. Oh, for sure. And I mean, the the thing with the thing with Backlund is he has, the, the, the problem is, I don't know if people realize this, but he has tailed off like quite significantly since his prime probably around like 2016 like year by year he's kind of slowly be crept more towards replacement so i'm really curious to see what he's like uh next year but the fact that he was like again it's such a weird trend it's like with lindholm and kachuk too it's like guys that are known for their two-way game struggled so much defensively this year like what was up with that like his off his offense really came to life towards the after he went back to his normal position I mean, defensively, has even strength 
defense game was probably the weakest part of his game this season. It's so weird. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's, here's a theory. Maybe it's because when you start spending so much time defending, right? Because the, the, your team is so focused on defense. When, yeah. you, when you finally get the puck out, you're just dumping it in. Some most For the first third of the season, they were just changing every time they dumped the puck, and they weren't even going to pursue it. Makes a it's lot like, of sense. It's just like, we're just trying to play defense here. That's it, guys. So maybe... Well, and the, the backing off and just like chilling yeah. in the zone while other teams get insane amounts of shots against. Like So okay. maybe when you're like, fuck, we get the puck here, and then you start taking, I don't know. But I'll, I'll give Backlund a B... I'll give him a B-plus just because he was so goddamn good down the stretch. Okay. I had him at a B, B-minus in the playoffs. Yeah, that's fair. He, w- he was meh in the playoffs. But that line okay. is still the best. Your boy, Lucic. Oh, man. If you listen to this podcast for any duration of time, you know I had a pretty ridiculous meltdown when the Flames acquired Lucic. This one's going to be a relative grade because he vastly outperformed what I thought he was going to do, but he still only had 20 points. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like people talk about him like he's a top-line player now. It's like the dude is still like doesn't move the needle very far so relatively speaking i'll give milan lucic a b plus and that's me being super generous because on a lot of nights that guy's foot speed and his lack of the thing is he's still a very smart player and he can still be relied upon in his own zone despite the lack of foot speed so that's where lucic is still holding it together like he did nothing for you offensively this year the fact he didn't get crushed in his own zone like a guy like james neal would have makes up for it b plus for milan lucic how generous and i like this son of a bitch dude is how like here's one thing we weren't expecting to fall in love with milan lucic this year like i like the guy me too so i had i gave him a b plus Uh, he was great in the playoffs for a lot of the same reasons he definitely over exceeded our expectations but yeah relatively speaking within the role he's supposed to have him man like but yeah a minus in the playoffs he's great in the playoffs that line was obviously that line was the A line for me. They all had A markings, this third line. Let's get to Bennett. I like it. Um, okay, well it's the, the, sa- the, the same sad sap story of Sam Bennett. The I was saddest, just gonna say the exact the saddest thing. player the saddest hockey story going yeah. right now. Absolutely lights out in the playoffs, dog shit in the regular season. Like literally D plus in the regular season, A plus in the playoffs. Like that's literally that's what you can say about Sam Bennett. He was he sucked again in the regular season this year. Like <laughs> yeah, I had I had a D plus and an A. Like I like you had him you had him A plus A in the playoffs. I mean, dude, he was far, awesome. As far as his impact, you can't rank any higher than that. But I just feel like some of his underlying yeah, numbers. Uh, so that's why I brought him down, just an A in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, I'll maybe tone it down a little bit. But I mean. I've got a new theory on Sam Bennett. I kind of floated this out to you. Like I, I, I'm. It's same thing. The square peg in the round hole. He's not a. He's never. I don't think he's ever gonna work as like a two way third line center. The dude has all the markings of a guy who, like Monahan, can't play, doesn't play defense, isn't good in his own zone, but can can create can uh, get can score some goals. Maybe you try him with Monahan and Gaudreau this year. Maybe that's the answer because if you look at a lot of his underlying metrics. His defense is not great. His shot share is not great. His uh, expected goals against rates are not great. He's not very good at defending. What is good? And how many times have you seen this from Sam Bennett? He creates a lot of chances, but can't can't catch a goddamn break. It doesn't score. 
my here's I was talking on Twitter a bit today because somebody asked me if you if you stick if you try Johnny with um Kachuk for once finally then who's gonna play in the middle and what if Sam Bennett slotted between those two guys. I would have Lindholm there, but I mean, like, and I'm again, I don't, I don't want to jump the shark and like say, oh, Sam Bennett had another good playoffs, give him the first line center role. But I do think there is some validity to saying put him in an offense first role with Gaudreau or with Kachuk or somewhere where he can play with some offensive guys and maybe get some more offensive zone starts and not have to be relied upon. Again, he's not going to be a. Th- again, they keep trying to play these guys who are not defensive players in defensive roles. He's not going to be that way. He's yeah. he he's always been like this. He's he like that's what he was drafted for to be a high scoring, high offense, impactful centerman. Like his defensive game has never been strong. So like I think there is validity to that idea of like maybe you put him in the top six. Like it'd be nice if he could earn it, like do what Mangiapane did and actually earn it. But I don't know. What might makes most sense, especially after seeing the the, the success these guys have, is just you. Maybe these this line Lucic, Bennett, and Dubé is gonna finally, you know, have what it takes. And then, but wonder where does Levo fit in? I guess I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. Interesting to see who ends up where. Yeah, like I would say, if you if you wanted your new third line for me, it would be Derek Ryan between Dominic Simone and Josh Levo, and then have Lucic, Bennett, Dubé as your quote unquote fourth line, and just kind of split those lines. Like it doesn't have to necessarily be it's the fourth line by default right and then whoever's playing better on a certain night any given yeah night. exactly that's probably yeah, your best option all right Dubay. But, well Dubay, like again like how can you not give him an absolute lights over like again for all the talk about how good bennett and lucic were in the playoffs like Dubay was probably it was probably because of Dubay, right yeah like he, st- he stole there, the show and drove he drove yep. the goddamn bus with those two guys although come on you say that, but Sam Bennett was a yeah, fucking Bennett, absolute Bennett was good. beast. Yeah, it's true. All three of them, they were just beasts. Like, oh, man, that yeah. was unbelievable to watch. So Dubé right. is one of those guys who you probably want to grade a little bit higher than he should He should be just because it's a great story. Like, yeah. he, he was fine this year, but there were a lot of nights where you remembered, oh, yeah, he's, he's still really young and still yeah. has a lot of growing to do. So I would say his regular season, like, pretty good probably shouldn't be playing on the third line that much um but i mean his shot share wasn't great he wasn't great in his own zone he still managed to find the back of the net he still moves the puck really well still a really exciting to player watch i'll give him like a b minus just just based on his age and based on where he's at in his progression okay i gave him a b regular season a playoffs yeah that's fair to me okay um Let's let's get into some defense before we hit the fourth line because that fourth line was if you look at it maybe Ryan was the one yeah you know the one stationary player and even he was jumping up in the lineup because like what was the fourth line to finish off well to finish off it was Ryan with Reader and Ronaldo mostly Jankowski got into a few games there and then in the very last game Buddy Robinson <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta love that eh yeah good job yeah. All right, let's go to defense. So, Gio, obviously yeah. he struggled. He regressed. Um, it's actually pretty scary to see, to think, because who's going to replace Gio now? Nobody. 
Like, you're really hoping Yusuf Alamaki is a goddamn stud. Yeah, you really are hoping. And you're really hoping Gio and Tanev don't fall off a cliff. And you're really hoping that Noah Hannafin can figure it out. And you're really hoping Yusuf Alamaki can <laughs> be a stud. That's a lot of ifs, bro. What did you rate Gio for the regular season? I feel like he really struggled on a lot of nights, even though part of that is relatively speaking because you're so used to being him dominant in every single area of the game. And if you're looking at his underlying numbers, they weren't that bad. They just weren't as good as you would expect from Gio. Well, yeah, he's what he fell off from his. He had a he won the Norris Trophy the year previous and was absolutely insane. I think the area that Gio's game regressed was just the offense. I still think he was really good defensively. Like, I he still he was still for me the best five five on five defensive impact player on the team. He's still playing every single night against team's top players. He's still playing all the hard minutes, and he still had some really good defensive results. Um, so I think his, his even strength defense was still great. It was just the offense that fell off a cliff. Um, okay. I mean, even some of his puck moving and stuff, again, that's probably part of the system. But I would give Gio a solid... You know what? For his age, I'll give him a B plus. But the playoffs, he kind of took a bit of a tumble. So Yeah, I had him B minus regular season C playoffs. Yeah, he wasn't very good in the playoffs. I don't know what to expect with from him next season. Me you, neither. You kind of expect that we've seen the worst that these guys can play. Like there's really only room to improve, you would hope, for a lot of these guys from the from the performances we saw last season. But if there's no change in the system and and, the, and a big underlying reason because of the regression was the system, then I don't know. Like yeah, I have no idea really what to expect. I kind of feel like we're gonna might see more of the same, to be honest. Yeah, I like that. You just cross your fingers and hope he doesn't like you. You cross your fingers and hope he's more Zdeno Chara, and can stave off regression for maybe a few more years. Because if your number one defenseman, if he even if he even like doesn't fall off a cliff, if he falls off a hill, you're screwed. You're, if your number one defenseman. <laughs> all of a sudden isn't reliable, you are screwed with that defense. So, Okay, we touched on Brody. He's obviously not a flame anymore. Rasmus Anderson, um, I had him at A-. I thought, I thought that he was probably your most... Him and Brody were your, obviously your two most consistent defensemen all season long, your most reliable outside of Geo, but you know he had a bit of a regression there. Um, Rasmus Anderson was improved i thought from the previous season which is yeah. good he's he's getting better each year he he handled a lot of minutes on his own he made other players aka noah hannafin better um and we just saw him whether it's defending connor mcdavid and just like making mcdavid look like he belongs in peewee um or just on on just weird defensive moves that he makes breaking out of his like the guy's a stud yeah, absolutely no doubt. Rasmus Anderson, not only did he solidify the second pairing, but I think he made a strong case that he is heading into next season, arguably your best defenseman, right? Yes. Like, I, I think if you're, you're, pro you're just, you're waiting and seeing if Geo falls off a bit, but at this point, it's 1A, 1B with Rasmus and Geo. So the fact that he was able to do that, the fact that he's he's a he he still hasn't figured out his offensive side of the game, which that'll come, I think, for sure. Because that's what's so funny is like the knock on some of these young guys is all oh, their defensive game has been 
is poor, but they can't produce offense. It's like, no, it's like Rasmus Anderson is a absolutely lights out defender. He moves the puck. Well, hasn't been able to find his game offensively. I think that'll come like Rasmus Anderson gets an A minus for me as well. Cause maybe you want to see him put up a few more points, but I mean, on a lot of nights, he was the flames best defender. Okay. So let's go to Hannafin under, under the pairing of Ham, Han, uh, man, I always do this. Hammock, Hammock, and Hannafin. At least you're not saying Hammerlick anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, those guys were so bad in their own end; like it was yeah. laughable. Um, and then if you look at some of the pairings we've seen through the through the three seasons that uh, Hammerlick was here, you just did it. <laughs> Shit, I fucked you up. Sorry. Yeah, you you put it in my brain <laughs> that uh, Hammerlick was here. You kind of. The, the common denominator seems to be Travis Hamannick. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think either one of us is too upset that we're losing Travis Hamannick. I feel like our plan going into the deadline anyway, so it's to let him walk, so let's try and trade him. Yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts on Hannafin? I feel like he, he obviously showed a little bit more of what he's capable of. He was improved for me, I thought, this season. Um, and then that pairing with him and Rasmus, Rasmus Anderson actually leads us to believe that he can be um, a second pairing defenseman in the NHL. So, what you what what do you see? You know what? It's such a it's such a weird one, and it's still like I thought we were gonna get some clarity on it this year because it kind of felt like a make or break year. Like I know we were heading into it like, well, they Hamannik and Hannafin suck defensively. I don't know what to expect. And I know we have talked a lot about how, you know, he, he seems, the, the areas of the game he seems to struggle with seem to kind of be between the ears, right? Like a lot of hockey sense issues, a lot of just yeah. like plays where you're like, what are you doing, man? It's like, it's not even ability. It's just, it's just how he thinks the game. So there's like a lot of conflicting information. Like I have some cognitive dissonance trying to break down Noah Hannafin because on the one hand, he's played so many games already, and even though he's still young, it's like, well, maybe he is what he is at this point. And then when you look at like a lot of his underlying metrics, is like he does create offense like at a really elite level. He just hasn't been able to finish just yet. It's just like, man, could he ever break through? Because it's like I kind of have started to think like maybe he could be like Shea Theodore, where it's like he finally has that breakout seat. Like I mean, Theodore's underlying numbers have been really good for a while. But then you saw him absolutely finally put it together and explode in the playoffs, and you're like, holy shit, is Shea Theodore a good defenseman? Right. So I'm not saying he's going to be Shea Theodore, but it's like that's kind of always in the back of my mind is like if he can and ever does put it together, I don't think he did this year. So that was kind of disappointing for me. Like I was really hoping he would come out. I think we even said this is like if he can get up into the 40, 50 point range, that would be huge for this team. Um but I, I don't know. Like he was really good against the Jets. He was really good once Rasmus Anderson was on his was was on his uh, right side. But he was really bad against Dallas. I mean, still on a lot of nights he really struggled in his own end. So it's just I don't know. I, I, again, there's still tons of potential there. But is he ever gonna put it together? I think Noah Hannafin did a good job for me this year. Um, he definitely clarified the notion that I had maybe put out there that. He, he was part of the problem with Hamannick when it, it seems to me that Hamannick was definitely dragging him down in a huge way. 
Yeah. So the fact that he was able to show that, yeah, he's a he can stand on his own two feet and can be a top four defenseman in this league, that was encouraging. Um, and again, it kind of comes back to the deployment with me. It's like he should have been getting second power play units. He's a good player on the power play. He distributes the puck well. He creates offense well off the power play, off the point back there. So I don't know. I think if you give if he's in an increased role, like I said, like if he can get maybe some more, like we were talking about last time, maybe utilize him and Anderson as your top pairing, and you can really put him in a pressure cooker and see what he's made of. Maybe that's what it takes to to get him to unlock the potential of Noah Hannafin. I like that. I still think he can do it. I didn't see enough from him this year. I'll give him a B plus because he exceeded my expectations, but he still struggled in his own zone and still wasn't able to put everything all together for a guy who can skate with the puck that well, who can move the puck that well. And again, probably due to the system, not playing to his strengths, but I'll, I'll give him a B plus, which is probably not something I would have been saying heading into the year. Cause I was kind of down on him, but okay, he sucked had, against Dallas. I had him at a B minus again. I feel like i to me, a B minus, a B, B plus. Yeah, it's it's one of those things again where I feel like this is the ceiling for Noah Hannafin. Um, well, that's what it feels like because you always you always point this out for me. You know, if I'm like, well, if this happens and this happens and this, and it's yeah. just like, well, that's a lot of ifs to happen for something to go the way you want it to go. If we haven't seen it already, then chances are it's we've seen what what he is. So. Um, I like your analogy of if he gets in that pressure cooker and he gets he's consistently playing with a, with a, a guy that's that is getting better. Like Rasmus Anderson is getting better every night. So, but again, that's the other opposite, right? Is like you've seen guys like Anderson like sh- progress, and he's now like probably a legit top pairing defenseman. When anytime you see Noah Hannafin out there against Connor McDavid, it's like, oh my god, he just made him look like he is playing tykes. Like, how many times did you? Did you see Hannafin out there against like McDavid and go like, oh no, fuck. It's like still, he's been playing in the league for five years and is still an issue. Like probably more than that. Five years, six years. A lot of games. He's still pinching Connor McDavid at the neutral zone thinking he's going to beat him to a buck. Still doesn't know when to pinch. So again, it kind of always circles back to that for me. So I'm kind of still holding out hope that he can be a Shea Theodore type guy and finally figure it out. But I don't know. He he's the tough like him and Bennett are like the same guy. It's like I cannot figure out I can't figure them out. And again, maybe it does come. Maybe that's because it does come down to deployment and what. And I don't know. Maybe well, again, we, I know this is dragging on, and we're gonna go on for three goddamn hours. But it's just like I don't understand if you're building your defense based on the premise that you want really mobile. Like Noah Hennepin is one of the is a great transition defender. He's very good at moving the puck up ice. He's very good at skating with the puck. That's one of the hallmarks of his game. And for me, part of why of the flame, why the Flames acquired him in the first place. Why are you stifling him? Anyways. Yeah. Okay. Last remaining defenseman. We talked about him already. So just give me his grade, Shillington. What'd you give him for the year? Well, I feel like Shillington is my new Brody, where I have to defend this poor son of a bitch, and even more so. Yeah. Like I mean, he wasn't great this year. I'd probably give him a C plus. Okay, I gave him a B minus, so we're pretty close. Like, was he like I? I don't understand where this segment of the fan base is at, where they think he sucks, and I don't understand why this organization is so reticent to use him. 
Like, was he really going to be worse than Derek Forbold or Eric Gustafson or Michael Stone in the playoffs? No. How here's here's something I'll throw at you. The deployment of of and treatment of Oliver Shillington. Who does that reminded you of from the forwards? Especially what we saw with Bill under Bill Peters. Um, it's like um, Dylan Dubé. Remember yeah, fucking shit. Remember, no remember, shit. Remember Dylan Dubé couldn't do a goddamn thing right under Bill Peters. And then Bill Peters was giving him shit after he, didn't he score a hat trick or something in like preseason, and Bill Peters was giving him shit. Anyways, I'll throw that in there because that's a great analogy. I you just, and I, are, you and I are still both really high on Shillington. I'm um, huge high on Shillington, and and I agree. I don't really see what the premise is of so, so much negativity from the fan base, even when you go on Twitter and they like, oh he fucking sucked. It's like, dude, the guy had like maybe two mistakes. He's played how many games in the NHL? Well, that's the other thing too. It's like, what is the differentiating factor between Rasmus Anderson's development and Oliver Shillington? For me. They were pretty much on the same trajectory until Rastus Anderson was given the chance to uh, slot into a more prominent role and and exceeded expectations. Shillington hasn't been given any opportunity to show. Th- and again, like sure, maybe he turns the puck over a little bit, but I mean his his ability to move the puck has been nothing short of dazzling in his short time in the NHL. Yep. He can generally, for the most part, outskate his mistakes if he's turning the puck over at the blue line. So, like, I just don't, and again, I don't buy it from what I see. His defensive game has not been great, but over the small sample size, it hasn't been nearly as terrible as people say. So, I, I'm sick of people saying Shillington is never going to be an NHL player, and then I'm kind of annoyed that the team isn't. I hope he makes the team this year and is finally breaks through because I still think there's so much untapped potential with Oliver Shillington. Well, End of with, rant. With the D Corps that we are rolling into next year with, I don't see how you're not going to see quite a bit more of Oliver Shillington than we did this year. That's just the way I look at it. That would be insane. Can you imagine? Okay. Goaltending, and then we'll finish off with uh, the general manager, the cherry on top. So let's start with David Riddick. Um, I gave him a B. I feel like, man, he was. I thought he was your MVP in the first half of the season. Yeah, I don't disagree when, with that. When the team struggled night in and night out, especially in their own end, this guy was bailing you out left, right, and center. Most nights he let you let him out, you hung him out to dry, and either he kept you in the game and you lost two nothing, you couldn't score, or he gave you a chance to win the game and you won by like by scoring two goals. So the fact that you and I both perceived early on in the season when he was playing every single night and you're just like bill why don't you give him a fucking night off you went out and got a 1b guy in talbot so that you could give david riddick rest so that he could continue to become a better nhl goalie and as soon as it was apparent he's playing too much his game starts to taper off and taper off and taper off a bit and a bit more a bit more until the point where you're just like oh now the fan base is throwing riddick under the bus it's just like yo the guy's been excellent then, I guess the real the turning point for Riddick was the stick flip, eh? <laughs> yeah, there's how many goddamn charts do you see of like David Riddick's record after the stick flip? All I know is that that series with Edmonton, where with the whole Matthew Kachuk thing and then the stick flip in in Edmonton, was was that not the two best whole things of the whole season? A the the 
the stay off the tracks with Zach Cassian and, yeah. and, and the follow up shootout win. And then the stick flip. Those were like, that's the two pinnacles. Maybe you throw the Nashville in there as a one off, but. Oh, no doubt. Those were like the two highlights of the season. So, I don't know. I just feel like, again, poor mismanagement. Yeah. And sure, that's never an excuse for a player because the best, the cream of the crop will always rise to the top no matter what. But I still feel like we could have got more out of Riddick. We should have got more out of Riddick. And there's still more to get out of Riddick. So the fact that now we have Mark Strip coming in, it's going to be really interesting to see him back in that backup role. But I think easily, hands down, you can say we probably have one of the top five tandems in the league now. Considering what we can expect from David Riddick, because the rest of David Riddick is an excellent David Riddick. So if that's the case going into next season, and then also if Mark Strip goes down with an injury, I feel confident having Riddick take over the net. Oh, yeah, me too. That's where I'm at with Riddick. I gave him a, um, a B for the whole entire season. Probably, if, you, if you're a fan and you're a Riddick lover um, and you follow the team really closely, you're probably not far off from that. But then if you're in this other other group of fans that just like think he sucks, he's terrible, um, you give him a lower mark. I don't know what you give him. What do you give him? Yeah, I'd give him, I'd give him probably like just a B- minus, just because he'd never seem to quite recover like again, not from not just because of the stick flip, but like in that kind of like uh, tail end of the season, he never was able to really kind of put it back together again. Um, so I I would just say for that fact, I was just a slightly downgrade. Like I mean, part of that was because of Talbot was like they, he Talbot was getting more starts and because he was playing better, but R- Riddick was never really able to refine his game after that after that first kind of like initial that first kind of like initial. Uh, like he again, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Lights out in yeah. in the first month of the season, and then later on we find out that he was battling injuries again too. So yeah, so like probably due to being overplayed. I have no issue with David Riddick going. I I would have honestly I would have been fine with David Riddick as your starting netminder going into next season. Personally, I definitely think it would be risky, but I would have had no problem with it. But yeah. Okay, Talbot, he's gone, obviously. I gave him a B regular season. I don't think he was much better than Riddick in the regular season. Maybe he was a little bit more consistent, especially on the tail end of things. Yeah, I think they were, like, reverse. They were just, like, heading in opposite directions. Riddick was yeah. great in the beginning of the season. Talbot struggled, and then Talbot really took over and played really well down the stretch. And then, obviously, he was he was another A in the playoffs for me. Talbot. Yeah, oh, totally. Okay, um, general manager, Bradtree Living, the cherry on top. Again, so much of our, um, you know, funneling the the blame usually ends up on management for for both of us, which I think is only fair. I mean, it's their team. This is Brad's team. If his team's not good enough, then why is it the players' fault? Bradtree living the season as a whole, and I'm gonna this for me ends in playoffs. I'm not including his his draft in this at all. Yeah, um, it was a C minus the way he handled. The, the downward downward spiral before the the um the relief of Bill Peters because there was a stretch of a week and a half there we we just were terrible and the Maple Leafs had already let Babcock go I'm like that's what you have to do you have to get rid of the like the, you can tell the players don't want to play for Bill Peters there's like a dissent in the room there's something real funk going on 
Yeah, Brad True Living didn't want to replace him. He said, no saviors are coming. This is who we're stuck with, blah, blah, blah. And then he, I think he got lucky in the fact that it's a weird thing to say because obviously, you know, it's not. Well, it's weird because it's like the 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 drama and the absolute. Like that, that was a worldwide story. But the yeah, fact so that. So obviously you're yeah. not lucky you got to deal with that and it's not a great situation. But the fact that that wasn't even, you have to make a decision. The decision was made for you. Now you can move forward with a different coaching staff, and it, obviously the team played really well after. I don't think I don't like the way he handled that. Um, I don't know, just the way that we've seen his assessment of this team, especially throughout the season and then postseason. Um, just, we we look at a different lens, obviously. So maybe I'm a little too harsh on him. Maybe I should change my C minus to a C plus. But um, anyway. You slice it, he's in the C's for me. I'm surprised he even went with a C because, like, I just, I just, I feel like he has, he has not gotten the job done at all this season. Like, Bill Peters stuff aside, like, that was annoying. No saviors are coming. It's like, okay, like, they lost, before Bill Peters was fired, I think they had lost, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of eight. Like, jeez. And they went on that winning streak right after he was fired. But the fact that, like, do you remember how frustrated we were? Yes, and the thing was the the peak of the frustration was because when you roll into the deadline when you finish first in the West, and you're like, "Whoa, fuck! We could actually do some damage in the playoffs." You don't add to your team, and you why? And you say, "Oh, we believe in this group," and then throughout the off season, you don't add to your team because you believe in this group, and then your group fucking stinks, and you need help. Yeah, and like that's your job as a general manager. Well, and the like, fact, and that was the reasoning for not doing anything is because you believe in the group, and that was the reason for not doing anything in the off season, right? Which I th- we thought was a mistake. We were annoyed that he it took him so long to trade for a leak, and he never addressed the top six problem, even though it was kind of internally addressed by Andrew Manjupani. And then he goes out and does the same stupid thing at the deadline, giving like again, you you lost two unrestricted free agents in T.J. Brody and Travis Hamanick. Which I guess it was pretty apparent you weren't going to sign either of those guys. You didn't get anything for them. And then not only that, you traded picks for two guys you didn't keep. Again! So asset management, D. <laughs> I mean, it's just the fact that it was like... you this, this, season, this season was goddamn insane. Let's just say that. And I mean, he did have to deal with the whole Bill Peters thing, which I'm sure took about 28 years off of his life. So, like, I'll give him a bit of, a bit, like, he gets a bit more sympathy from me. But, I mean, like, he, he didn't, did he improve the team this year at all? Like, in any aspect? I don't think he did. We're rolling in with the same forward group. Maybe you got a little bit of an upgrade with Levo coming in. But like, it's essentially the same team. We got a little bit worse on defense. We got, a, like, a little bit better. We got better in goal. But our goaltending was not our issue last year. So where is your assessment coming from? Like, if he had, if he, he had a chance to get me back on board this offseason, maybe he still does that via another player acquisition. But as of this moment, like, it's just, it, I, I can't get behind what he's doing. And then obviously the blaring thing to this as well is, is taking the interim coach off of Jeff Ward. Like, yeah. Oh, man, when there's so many better options out there that are just, like, it's kind of it's funny how 
when you're when you go into the free agency and it's like, oh man, like there's so many good goaltenders. If now is enough time to upgrade, then do it. Yeah. Same thing with coaching. Like there's so many good coaches available. That's not always the case. Well, I mean, here track track this series of events and tell me Brad Shilvin doesn't get like a D or an F for this season. Number one doesn't fire Bill Peters when he should have. Well, number one doesn't pick up a, a top six player in last off season or make any significant additions to the team in the offseason heading into uh, the 2019 season. Number two, doesn't fire Bill Peters when he should. Number three, still doesn't address the issue of the Ford group when it's so goddamn apparent. Number four, doesn't properly manage his assets at the trade deadline. Number five, (laughs) removes the interim tag from Jeff Ford. Number six, signs up Chris Tanev to a bad deal and thus far still hasn't addressed the issue up front. Like, I mean, again, Levo, Simone, okay. You're, you're not going to get very far if you don't address the real problem. So, I mean, those series of events, I'm, I'm sorry, man. That's you get, a, you get a failing grade from me. Fail? Yeah. Atta boy. What did he do that made this team better this year? One thing that made this team markedly better. Nothing. He didn't do anything. Outside of upgrading goaltending, yeah. Nothing. Uh, I forgot about Markstrom. Still an out. <laughs> I have to stay on brand and give him an F, okay? Okay. Okay, so there's... um, We didn't cover all the players because they're not all current players now, but what we'll do is the players that we didn't do a little monologue on, um, in the closing here, I'll go through the list. We'll just do the grades. We're not going to get into any dialogue about it. And um, there's your player grading. All right, so who we didn't cover yet? Ryan. What are your grades for Ryan? Uh, Derek Ryan, again, usage, he should have been used way more. He gets a B minus. I had a B minus. Uh, Mark Jankowski. C minus. C, C. A C. Oh, how? (laughs) Should have been used better. Was treated like shit this year. That is absolutely true, but he also played like shit this year as well. That's true. The butt Uh, hit. The butt hit. I have him a D minus F in the playoffs. Yeah, right. he he had his opportunities in the playoffs. Stunk. Can't argue with that. Reader Tobias. Uh, playoffs again. Utilized in the opposite way. Utilized way too much for what he was doing. For what he was there for a B. For what he was used for a D. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. It's so stupid. So reader, I give a B in the regular season. And I actually gave him an A minus in the playoffs. He was fine, but again, he would have been fine on the fourth line. Like on the fourth line, he's B. If on the fucking For... top line, he's an F. Jeez. That guy max. That guy maxed out his ceiling to the exactly. nth degree. And that's why I gave him an A minus. But knowing what his ceiling is is why he got such a good grade because I didn't expect him to do dick all in the top six. All right, Zach Ronaldo. I mean, I I don't. He doesn't really bring much for me. I I guess he was fine though. I'll give him a I'll give him a C plus. Score a couple goals. Oh, okay. I got him. I got him coming in a C D in the playoffs again. Their guy who had an opportunity to solidify a role in the playoffs and yeah. shouldn't be used there though. Like this all comes back to utilization for me. T J Brody. A. a. I got an A minus B plus in the playoffs. Yeah, um, that's good with me. Forbert. You know what? Like. I, I, he was, I really thought he was going to suck ass and be like Michael Stone. He was fine for the Flames 
Like, I mean, I liked them in the playoffs. Meh, meh in the playoffs. I had them. I had them B regular season, C plus playoffs. That sounds perfectly accurate. And then Gus Gustafson. You know what? I really liked what he brought to the power play. Me too. I mean, he sucked at defense, and I mean, it was only like I don't even think it was like it was like what fifteen games. And yeah. he wasn't very good in the playoffs outside of the power play, so I'd give him like a B minus and maybe a C in the playoffs. I, I like right. what he brought to the team personally. I had him a B minus across the board. Yeah. Travis Hamonick, C plus. Yeah, I mean it's hard to like much of what Hamonick did this year because he wasn't very good. But I like him as a guy, so that's gonna that's <laughs> screw up warrior. my judgment. He's a warrior. For what Hamannick is, I'll give him a B for what he he shouldn't again wrong utilization. All right, and then uh, your boy, My Michael boy. Stone. <laughs> I gave him a D plus. <laughs> gets a D. A hard, he doesn't get failed, but he gets a D minus from me. He was terrible again. That a boy. All right, we did honorable mentions for leagues: Zarnik, Quine, Buddy Robinson, Davidson, Yellison. We there's no Holy point. Shit. Those guys didn't play enough games to really generate a rating, but... All right, wrapping it up. Player rating, anything else to add? No, sir. Then we'll see y'all in the next one.